Bible has a large overarching theme of the table. Physical meal shared between God and man and an immediate relation to this proverbial feast is the Savior Jesus, usually. So much so that in Genesis 3, it presents done at a proverbial table, at a meal, and that Adam and Eve took and ate what they ought not to, and in order to redeem them from this situation, a seed, Genesis 3.15, is promised to crush the head of the serpent. Fast forward to Genesis 18. Abraham invites three angelic visitors, one of them who is God incarnate. The Bible says it is the Lord. They have a meal with him at the table, and at this table, the continual line of this coming seed to crush the serpent is promised to Abraham and Sarah. Much of the law uh, or offerings in Leviticus are shared meals between priests representing God and their people. Jesus gives parables about the wedding feast. He says things like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will recline at table with believers and eat at the table of God. Jesus at the table broke uh, bread and poured wine, calling it the new covenant in his blood. Revelation talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. What's interesting as I've been going through the book of Ruth is that I see an underlying theme that really caused me to rack my brains and open up a bunch of books this week because I don't remember reading anyone too much making a big deal out of it, so I thought maybe I was just an idiot. <laughs> Our friend Dean made mention of it slightly in his study, in the, the study guides we have. That is the theme of covenant in the book of Ruth. It has been an underlying concern because those of us familiar with the law, familiar with redemptive history, <laughs> That in the story of the Bible of God redeeming humanity back to himself, red flags go up like crazy as we read the book of Ruth. Because we open with a family leaving the covenant community of Israel, and then scandalously we have the Israelite widow returning back to the covenant community with a Moabite, which the law tells us is forbidden that Moabites are not to fellowship with Israelites ever. The theme of covenant is brushed up against again when Ruth declares basically that she will renounce her Moabite origin and become an Israelite. So the question became, will the sinful covenant people in the time of the judges accept Ruth into her covenant, into the covenant community of Israel? Well, let's start today and find out. I invite you to stand one last time in honor of reading the Lord's Word, if you're able to stand. We're going to be reading Ruth chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, that is Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. 
and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Because, or where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just come before you begging and pleading that you would speak today, that you would remove me and my distractions. Father, I pray that for everyone else who have distractions, trials, things that they want to give you, I pray that they would feel able to give that to you right now, and that you would speak to them and draw them close to you, Give them hearts that are soft towards you. Father, help us to fall more in love with you today. And help us to see you for who you are and to adore you because of it. Say everything that you desire. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You likely hold in your hand, or hopefully you read every day, a library of books in the Bible, 66 books by 40 plus authors, all with very different backgrounds, in three different languages, over a period of about 1,500 years. What is faith strengthening is when a theme touches each book from their different origins, told you several times what I believe. Jesus is in every book. <laughs> and what's most fascinating is when at times word-for-word -word symbols or stories are shared by books. In God's providence, we finished the book of Mark not too long ago. And so a lot of uh, pictures and stories from the book of Mark are fresh in my mind, and I cannot help note them when I, when I do in Ruth. Uh, last week I pointed out to you Mark's telling to the rich young ruler and how we saw word for word that, that Boaz noted that Ruth had left, quote, father and mother in her native land and came to a people she did not know before. And how in Mark Jesus says that that is the mark of a disciple, one who leaves father, mother, lands, and so forth, and in hundredfold they are repaid. So, hopefully we are familiar with the Bible 
I don't know about you, but I could not help but think about a specific image when we read in the book of Ruth, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Bread and wine. Most commentators, most notes that were looking at me say, what are you thinking about, stupid? Because most of them just shrugged it off and said, well, those were common elements for a meal. I didn't find really any commentators or notes in my Bible nearly as excited as I am <laughs> that this is bread and wine. The meal that Jesus in some shape or form shares with his disciples. But having and believing the Bible is a library of books that are 100% connected to each other, we as Christians, I believe, should not pass over, excuse the pun, pass over this coincidental and providential and symbolic meal being had here by the newly converted Israelite and seemingly the most righteous person in the book of Ruth, Boaz. Ruth has made her declaration of following the God of Naomi, and Boaz is extending bread and wine to her at the table. We are told that this is a table shared with the men who work for Boaz, which again goes to show how personable Boaz is with his workers. What is really interesting for me, though, is the words that the author chooses at the end of verse 14, and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Mark used this idea of satisfaction and abundance of bread extensively in his book, primarily in chapters 6 through 8. And I brought this up in a few sermons, so if this is review for some of you, I'm sorry, but bear with me. In Mark chapter 6, we saw the apostles returning from their first missionary outing and they're going to go get rest a bit, but then they are recognized, a crowd gathers, and the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 takes place. Very important. They are in Israel when this occurs. And we're told in Mark 6, 42 through 43, and they all ate and were satisfied, kind of sounds like a line in the book of Ruth, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Kind of sounds like an abundance. There's some left over. We'll skip an interesting passage in chapter 7. I'll return to here in a few minutes. But chapter 8 tells us of another feeding. This time it's 4,000, but it's also this time in Gentile territory, not in Israel. Mark 8.8 8 tells us, And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. I even find the numbers to be symbolically important. There were 12 baskets left for each tribe of Israel, and seven baskets, the number of completion for the entire world of the Gentiles. Outside, so that everyone outside of Israel is able to come and have their fill of Jesus. So everyone is invited to the feast, to the table. Everyone is invited to come to Jesus. But then back in Mark 7 is a story that actually one of you caught on to and shared with me as we started this book of Ruth and its similarity to Ruth. And that is the story of a Syrophoenician, a Gentile woman who comes to Jesus and wants him to heal her daughter. 
Jesus gives a remark that would be offensive to the ears of his listeners, as it is to us, and he basically tells a quick parable, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What floors me more than that verse is that unlike Jesus' disciples, unlike any other Jew who had heard Jesus and Jesus is telling his disciples over and over, here's what I meant, this woman listens to Jesus. She doesn't flinch. She isn't insulted, but rather speaks his language. Where the disciples fail, where the Jewish hierarchy falters, this woman excels and speaks the language of Jesus, humbles herself, and I believe without a moment's thought, enters into dialogue with Jesus and says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Jesus credits that statement as his reasoning for healing her daughter. I bring all this up because I want you to see that in Jesus' covenant is abundance and satisfaction. As I noted last week, it is hundredfold. There was more than enough to eat for Israel, more than enough for the Gentiles. And Mark and the Holy Spirit and Jesus illustrates for us in this passage the encounter between the Gentile woman and Jesus that, yes, the symbolism of the feeding, which is actually happening, is the reality. Gentiles are accepted by God. There is more than enough Jesus to go around. Gentiles are sons and daughters of the living God, not excluded from the kingdom of God if they come to Jesus by faith. Paul hammers this idea in places like Ephesians 2, the book of Romans, and Galatians. So we heard the words of Ruth in Ruth 1, where she says to Naomi, For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Ruth 2, where Boaz notes, You left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. But now, symbolically and spiritually and biblically speaking, Boaz, representing righteous Israel, extends the hand of fellowship and the food at the table to Ruth. Ruth is accepted by God as part of the covenant, and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So you might be saying, well, that's nice, you just took us to Mark again. I think you're stretching it. (laughs) But I want you to see that the literal food is also a symbolic picture of spiritual food, that she's going to to eat, be satisfied, and have an abundance Because we read this next, verses 15 through 19. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it to her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law whom she had worked, with whom she had worked, this, the man's name whom I worked with today is 
Boaz. What is happening here, evidenced by Boaz's instructions and Naomi's reaction, is abundance. Boaz is going above and beyond in blessing Ruth. This is far more than what the law demands about dealing with sojourners and foreigners and widows leaning in the fields. Boaz is telling his men to, to leave some of the good stuff behind intentionally for her, not just the edges of the field, which is what the law prescribed. And when Ruth brings home for her and Naomi, what she brings home is about five and a half gallons or 26 quarts or about 30 pounds of barley. This would sustain a working man for several weeks and surely sustain Naomi and Ruth for at least two weeks, if not more. But we continue, though, and we begin to note a changed mind by Naomi. I've told you in the first two sermons that Naomi really gets overshadowed a lot whenever she is studied in this book, because last week she said, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And we talked about people who have been there, right? Tragedy happens, someone dies, a relationship is severed, financial ruin uh, happens, a natural disaster takes out family or home, and the first one to blame is God, right? Because he's bigger, he's sovereign, he's providential, and he let this happen, so let's blame him. And Naomi literally identified herself as her tragedy. She expressed a desire to be called bitter. <laughs> because that's who I am. I, I said, she might as well stated, start calling me the childless widow from Moab. Because I want you to be reminded, and I want to be reminded every time my name is spoken. That's how Naomi feels. God is judging her. God's hand is against her. And then I told you, and I think I proved to you, that Naomi was 100% dead wrong in her estimation about God. That if you are a believer in God, you best believe that God's hand is not in judgment or wrath against you. It was being stayed for Jesus in Naomi's case. But rather, as Paul tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Naomi, who went away full and came back empty, sees that Ruth went away empty and came back full. And rather than saying, God's brought me back empty and he's testified against me and he's brought calamity upon me, now Naomi says, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, that is Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. Naomi means pleasant. She wishes blessings upon Boaz just as she wished blessings upon Orpah and Ruth in Ruth chapter 1. So Naomi now says this about the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This word kindness is the word hesed, the Hebrew word for covenant loyalty. Its counterpart in the New Testament is grace. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is praying to God fearing for Esau to come and attack him. You remember the story of Jacob and 
And Esau, Jacob tricks Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. True story. Some of you laugh, but you've been there. And then Jacob tricks his father Isaac in giving him the blessing. Now, this was a big deal. This was kind of like an inheritance as well. It was a big ceremonial prayer. Even though Esau played a part in selling his birthright, Esau is just understandably upset at this guy Jacob. So Jacob's afraid that Esau is coming to attack him. And look at what Jacob prays in Genesis 32, verse 10. He says to God, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love. That's the same word as kindness in our passage. That's has said, covenant loyalty. And all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. It's God's covenant loyalty to Jacob, to Israel. Jacob himself says, I am not worthy. Right? Unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. I've been a con man. I've been a rascal. But I've seen so much of your favor and blessing in my life, and I do not deserve any of it. Why is God giving steadfast love and faithfulness to an undeserving man? We read in the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments that God explains in Exodus 20, For the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love, that is, has said, kindness, covenant loyalty, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Jacob loved God. Naomi loved God. God is loyal. In his covenant loyalty, his unmerited favor, his kindness is abundant. Naomi even notes the unworthiness in one way or another. She says, God's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In other words, God's kindness has not forsaken Naomi, the returning sinner from Moab, or Ruth, the Moabite. God's kindness has not forsaken the clan of Elimelech, the sinful Israelite who broke covenant with God by leaving Israel. God's kindness has overlooked that, and God's kindness is still blessing his covenant people. That whenever we are faithless, he is faithful. That's what Naomi now sees in God. And instead of painting God in this bleak, punishing picture, she sees the opportunity that God is giving them. She sees that God is not a malicious, punishing God who took away her husband and sons, but rather God is a good God who can provide an emptiness, who can bring empty souls back to full again. God is a punisher. God is not a punisher, but a redeemer. Just making sure you're awake. She says to Ruth, back in verse 20, in the middle of it, we pick up. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi is bringing up a duty found in the law. Ruth has already been utilizing another law, namely the law about gleaning. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Boaz is reflecting God's heart and his law in Leviticus 19.33-34, that is to show kindness and love a sojourner as you love yourself. But Naomi now recalls to mind a law about redeemers. 
Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, basically lays out that if a husband dies, leaving no sons, it would be the duty of the brother then to take that wife and leave sons. 25, verse 7, tells us that if the brother refuses that duty, the widow can basically make that information public. We are not told the exact close relation of Boaz to Elimelech, Naomi, or such. We are only told later that there is yet a closer relative to Ruth, so Boaz and Ruth would have to navigate that in order to be able to marry by the law. We'll get there when we get there. It could be Elimelech had no brothers, or maybe no brothers left alive, just cousins, uncles, and nephews and such, so that might make the law a bit trickery to interpret for this situation. But Naomi, in one sense, I see. See, isn't it interesting that she's not living on her feelings, but on the word of God? I made the point last week that Ruth heads out into the fields to glean. The only reason she knows she can go out there and be provided for is quite literally the word of God, the law. Leviticus 19, 9-10. And so I hope I demonstrated that in a very real, effectual way, the word of God was providing in a tangible way for Naomi and Ruth in that instance. That when pastors tell you in times of hardship, be praying about it and reading your Bible... They're not just giving you pithy statements with no foundation. They're probably giving you the best advice ever. Because the Word of God is a powerful thing. The Word of God is an active thing. The Word of God is a real thing with real weight, with real active, tangible, effective, powerful, palpable implications for you here and now. And I wonder if Naomi saw that. I wonder if Naomi sent Ruth away. Well, the law says she can glean, so I guess that's what we're going to do. A lot of good that might do us. And then Ruth comes back abundantly blessed. God's grace so visibly manifest that Naomi says, God law provided in this way, but now that Ruth mentions it, Boaz is a relative of ours, a possible redeemer. God also talks about redeemers. I wonder if I can rely on God's word in that area too, and not this, just this area. Does that make sense? Friends, isn't it faith strengthening when you see the word of the Lord proven around you? Isn't it faith building when you observe life out there and observe what the word says in here? When God makes a promise to his people and you say, well, am I really one of his people? And then that promise comes to fruition and you know you are one of his people. I tell you one thing that's very faith-strengthening to me about the word of God being shown true. And that is actually this church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 specifically tells us now that there are a variety of gifts with the same spirit and there are varieties of service, the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or look over in Ephesians 4. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and is through all and in all. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The same Spirit is working in all believers for the common good. Walking in a manner worthy of God's calling with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit at the bond of peace. And I see that so faithfully here in this church. And I'm not saying that we're the best church on planet Earth because I considered it all God's grace. Because in this church, there is enough dirt to go around that can provoke any one of us to react in a way that is not exalting God or edifying the body. But what I see in these scriptures, by God's grace and His Spirit, I see played out in this church. And I encourage you with that, but I also ask you to not merely take this for granted, what's happening, but to acknowledge God's grace in giving us this general spirit in him of peace and to pray for its continuation. Naomi, I believe, in her changing of tune and tone in some ways, change of mind about how God was interacting with her, I believe it enthuses faith in God's word. And I don't mean it in a what-can-I-get-out-of-it sort of way, right? I believe... I don't believe Naomi is saying, wow, lots of free food. Let's see if Ruth can get a great husband. Produce God. But I believe Naomi realizes that God is real. His word is true. His heart is to love and redeem and to give abundantly. So that gives Naomi, and it should give all of us, great expectance and a blessed hope. It seems Ruth might not be on quite the right page with Naomi. Naomi says, Boaz is one of our close relatives, hinting, wink, wink, Ruth, Boaz, Redeemer, connection. Ruth is still on the food part. Ruth is still on the here and now. We read, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. That amounts to about three months when all is said and done for Ruth and Naomi. It says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. I want you to see the redemption already taking place. I know as we read the book of Ruth, and we kind of just lean into Ruth chapter 4 the whole time, seeing such vivid redemption there, because Ruth is... Married, a baby came, Naomi's happy, a great couple, King David's coming, King Jesus is coming, all happy, all redeemed. But I want you to see that even here in Ruth 2, Ruth and Naomi are in much better places than they were at the beginning of Ruth 1. Are they not? Because at the beginning of the story, we had Elimelech leaving Israel, leaving God's kingdom. We had Naomi, his wife, going with them. We had Elimelech's Sons marrying Moabite wives. This is really akin to the scandal of, say, Christian boys marrying practicing Muslims or practicing Jews. And then we have the tragedy of Elimelech and these boys dying, and Naomi left in pagan Moab without any Israelite providers. And now we have Naomi back in Israel in God's kingdom. We have Ruth, a true convert into God's people. We have Ruth and Naomi being provided for over and abundantly and assured of physical safety from assaults. This is significantly a better place. 
in the kingdom of God, being provided for by God, protected by God, and it is also manifest in the person of Boaz and the community that they're in, of Naomi and Ruth. And friends, this is a picture of where we are today. Like I just demonstrated theologically from Paul's letters, I believe that here in Ruth's story is a symbol of the church. Friends, you and I are to stay close to King Jesus and his people until the harvest is finished. We aren't to stray to any other field lest we be assaulted, lest we go astray, lest we go off course. We are to stay in the communion of saints, stay in the church of God. We are to do life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And everyone's in a different spot on the journey, too. Boaz sticks out like a righteous, pure thumb in the book of Ruth. Naomi is seeing that God is as gracious, loving, and kind as he says he is in his word, and she waits with expectation. Ruth is still kind of a babe in the faith, just happy to be provided for, happy to be providing for her mother. Doesn't mean she's not a believer, just means that they're all in different spots of the journey. So here's what I want to say to you today, friends. That you are part of a covenant and part of a community. Sometimes I wonder each Thanksgiving season if I should preach a sermon on Thanksgiving. But if I'm preaching the gospel, Thanksgiving should always be implied. Because God's covenant is a covenant of grace, blessings, and gifts. You see, Ruth came to Bethlehem with nothing to offer. She just came. She made a profession of faith. I'm no longer a Moabite. I've left all that that means, and I'm accepting all that it means to be an Israelite. God received her into the covenant. He said, you will be blessed a hundredfold. Right? And so Ruth left Moabite parents for Naomi, a mother, and God, her father. She left Moabite gods for the true God, Yahweh, who can provide. She left the fields of Moab for fields of grace under Boaz. Boaz brings her up to the table, the same table as his Israelite workers, and says to the widow from Moab, you're getting what, everything, what everyone else is getting. You're getting the same lunch they're eating. You're taking home an abundance with you. You came to Bethlehem, and I invite you not to just be a spectator or a visitor. I invite you to be part of the community. And that's what covenant is, God's community. You and I are part of God's community. And so like Naomi and Ruth live together, and like Ruth works behind Boaz's men, we, we live and do life together, and we work for the kingdom of God together. Not all of us are Boaz's, not all of us are Ruth's or Naomi's, but all of us, if we partake in God's gracious covenant, we are to be part of his community on different parts of the journey, and that's okay. Doesn't that make you thankful? That you serve a God who gives and gives generously, Not only that, he receives you in as Moabite and he blesses you as an Israelite. And friends, some of you might look around and say, I don't know if I'm thankful for this community. But aren't you thankful to be part of the community of God? I can tell you right now that I think you've been very generous and gracious to me. I don't think I'm the best guy in the world. I'm not the easiest guy in the world. And for some of you to sit through my sermons, I think it's like purgatory. (laughs) but if anything good if anything good comes out of what I preach I believe that is God's grace and I think you are very gracious and I'm glad to be part of God's covenant community here 
I, I've told some of you and I've told others outside the church that I truly feel that I'm just a congregant here who happens to be a preacher. And I think biblically that's how it should be. That's not to say that I don't do have other duties, but that is to say that I don't have to be the only one doing hospital visits, phone calls, and visits. And I am not the only one to do those things. See, Boaz invites Ruth the Moabite to the table to eat the bread and drink the wine. Jesus invites sinners to the table to eat the bread and drink the wine. Ruth sits alongside fellow Israelites and eats until she is satisfied and there's still more to go around. We sit alongside fellow Christians and partake in Christ and to utmost satisfaction with still more to go around, more people that need to come to Christ. Boaz instructs his people to come alongside Ruth in protection and provision. So God instructs his people to come, along, come alongside all newcomers in protection and provision. Naomi notes Boaz's generosity as a token of God's kindness that does not forsake the living of the dead. So Christ's incarnation, a revelation of God's kindness that does not forsake the living or the dead. Ruth is to be next to Boaz's men gleaning until the harvest is brought in. So you and I are to be in Christ's field gleaning until the harvest is brought in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we sang today that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We see that so vividly portrayed in how you are blessing Ruth, who brought nothing to the table, but yet you shared the bread and wine with her. Father, that should move us to utmost gratitude of what you do for us each and every day. It's not just a one-time thing when salvation happened for us. But we see that each and every day your blessings and your faithfulness is new every morning. Father, we pray that this community would continue in the bond and the spirit of peace. And we just tell you right now, you have done this for us. Your grace is all that is responsible for what is happening here. And we pray that your grace would continue to abound and that we would continue to draw closer to you. And we pray that as Moabites, proverbial Moabites, come to this place, they would experience the provision and the blessing and the abundance that we have experienced. That we would continue to have your heart for all who come. We thank you for this. We ask and we pray all these things. In the name and the work and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.